<sighs> you know, quality is an odd thing, isn't it? I'd like to hope that uh, our show here, that time we woke up in a podcast and had to explain manga, our heated adventures over analyzing manga we find interesting, falls into that category. But it is kind of hard to say what quality actually even is, right? I mean, I've always been the one who has done deep literary analysis, even on things like, uh, dare I recall it, Monmu and uh, other, you know, sort of wacky uh, subjects. But I mean, isn't there something to be said to well-written characters, whatever that means? I don't know. I just feel like... When you're engaging with a story, there should be something to engage with. Of course, what someone comes to a story for, you know, like what they see as good storytelling changes pretty radically from person to person. Most of the time, what I try to do results heavily mixed is to try to set aside my own personal preferences and think about, you know, good storytelling just in general. I do have to check my biases quite often. Uh, not every story needs, you know, deep, soul-crushing emotional moments, for example, even though that's something that I highly regard. It sort of makes you wonder, is there such a thing as objective quality? <sighs> A part of me wants to say, yes, there is. There's a lot of things that, you know, whatever you may feel about the product as a whole, there might be some element that you can't help but respect. It doesn't matter how bad this uh, the characters and the story and, you know, the moral lessons or whatnot in a manga is. If the action paneling is good, you can at least enjoy it for that. But then again, what someone finds to be a good action scene will change from person to person. Someone who likes a fight scene in some of the wackier parts of JoJo's might not be as keen as someone who likes the more fisticuffs based and direct action paneling of something like Dragon Ball, for example. And those two series are pretty darn close to each other in a lot of ways. I do think that there are some things that you can say are just good practice, regardless of the circumstances. Something along the lines of, say, consistency. There's nothing more frustrating than looking back and noticing a continuity error. There are a lot of series that just don't take themselves either internally or externally that seriously and can just drop the ball on that. But even something along those lines isn't necessarily the biggest problem if the story isn't supposed to have a consistent plot line. This is, again, where the element of bias comes in, which is obviously going to be a pretty recurring issue. See, me personally, when it comes to a more episodic uh, style of storytelling, I tend not to be able to grab onto that so much. I have a hard time getting invested in a story long term if the actions of characters don't have consequences. And again, that's not really what, for example, a slice of life story is there for. It's supposed to be short episodes you don't experience all at once. It's actually something that, you know, the more I think about it, and this is this is a shower thought that occurs to me and then I promptly forget a lot. But there's the element of the way in which you engage a story heavily impacts how you feel about the various elements of it. 
One story I recall, uh, the way I engaged with it had a pretty negative and pretty profound effect on my opinion on the story was Gintama. I was the only one of our crew that didn't like it, and I know I'm in a minority where that's concerned. Now, regardless of the fact that I marathoned it in a way I probably shouldn't have, uh, seeing functionally the same gag over and over again got really irritating really fast, and I noticed persistent plot threads that were seemingly being obscured by almost apologetic humor. You know, you can't judge me, I'm a parody. When that wasn't really the intent, because you were supposed to read it at a different pace. Is that a problem with Gintama or the way I read it? A part of me wants to say it's both, but of course it's kind of hard to say that a series has done it wrong if you engage with it incorrectly. This is something that happens to all forms of media that isn't, you know, a movie. You all just watch it once or a one-shot manga. If something was designed expressly to be serialized, then when you see a compiled version of it, it's going to interact differently, especially if someone's first interaction wasn't how it was originally intended to be viewed. Something we're seeing a lot in TV with, you know, the move away from cable and towards streaming services. And to a large extent, it's also happening in the manga sphere. It's a lot easier for people to experience manga online, you know, quickly and easily. Look at Shonen Jump. I mean, not sponsored, but like, seriously, I'm so happy we started this podcast because I got the Shonen Jump subscription so I can check out series as they come out. But at the same time, it's also a repository of a lot of backlog that I've not seen. You know, I have watched a lot of JoJo's, but I haven't read a lot of JoJo's and uh, reading it all at once instead of as it comes out has the potential to change how I view it. And I do think it is important to recognize that people are going to experience your series differently. It's hard, but I don't think it's impossible to set up your story in such a way that maybe it's inclined towards one of those elements, but doesn't wholly, you know, fall into one camp or the other. You can binge it or you can experience it piecemeal. One might be better than the other, but both are at least good and don't heavily affect your experience with it. Uh, The good of that is it means that this series will stand the test of time. Unquestionably, something like Dragon Ball is something that you could experience either very slowly or binge it, particularly the manga, which is extremely fast paced. It's almost seems like it was pre-built for that sort of thing, but they're Could be something to be said of a series being just flat out better if it goes all in on one. I think that probably the smartest thing to do if you want a series that stands the test of time would be to have that more even hand when it comes to, you know, pacing, for example, but also character arcs. Rather famously, and this is stepping slightly outside of the manga sphere, but Mobile Suit Gundam got canceled because people didn't like Amuro, not realizing the point of the story was he was supposed to character develop out of the little shit that he was. Is that a problem with Gundam? Because Amuro's character arc is one of the most compelling things in the entire franchise, especially when you consider the sequels. Mm, There is also the factor that if people don't like the initial part of the series, it doesn't matter how good it gets, they're just going to drop it. So I guess it kind of matters what you want out of the story as a creative as well as a consumer. Truth be told, I think the easiest way of trying to pick out something that is or at very least could be quality, it's easier to look at things that are just 
bad. I mentioned discontinuity, but whilst there are some cases where that sort of thing wouldn't matter, if something seems to have meant to matter, for example, if an element is repeated often and then later contradicted with no explanation, that's pretty easy to say that that's a mistake, especially if it's not something that the story puts emphasis on. Something that would have to be rather overtly retconned, for example. So, for example, Demon Slayer as a series is, in my opinion, really good, really consistent. But there was one element from the Red Light District arc that, well, nobody on this podcast was particularly happy about. Apparently, Inosuke can move his internal organs. And here's the thing. I've defended Demon Slayer. I've even defended this element of the story. But in all honesty, it was a mistake to do that. Everything about the story was saying Inosuke should be dead here. But he wasn't. And it's nothing really but an inconsistency that can be explained away by, you know, it just happened to Mrs. Organs and Inosuke's a braggart. But that's still an excuse for what's ultimately really a mistake. Issues like that will prop up in both good and bad things. And in a lot of ways, I think it's also important to note that Whilst for some that can be a uh, story breaking moment for others, they'll forgive it. Me, for example, I kind of just passed over it almost like it wasn't even there. I acknowledge it's a stupid thing that happened and it shouldn't have been there. But everything else about Demon Slayer was so enjoyable that it let me forgive that element of the story. That's actually something that I try to do very often when it comes to different kinds of storytelling. I refer to it as reading charitably. The idea that you presume that anything in a story isn't a mistake, but rather is setting up for something. This isn't always true, but usually uh, for big series, they can sneakily slide in retcons to make things make sense ultimately. On the other hand, it can send you down a rabbit hole of putting up with something longer than you would want to if you were just enjoying a series casually. It's sort of important to note that I think it's really important to address this idea that hasn't really come up. In this age of internet reviewing, it's easy for everybody to be a critic, but I think it's also worth noting that not everybody is actually a critic and reading charitably is really something you'd want to do if you really want to experience a series as objectively as humanly possible. Attempting to remove taste is a hard thing to do, and it's also not ultra rewarding unless you're getting something out of it, like factually recounting the events of a story. You know, I'm not necessarily trying to sell you on any of the stuff we read. Some of the stuff we read, I, you know, I like. I'd check out again if I had the time, but isn't necessarily my vibe. But on the other hand, if you're just reading something casually, you don't really have to read charitably if you see something as a mistake and you don't have any reason to think otherwise. If it's enough to overwhelm any of the good that the series is doing, that kind of feeling can be enough to reasonably drive you away from something. There's also people who are at times going to say, no, take my word for it, it will get better, but it's really up to you if it's worth getting to that point. We're a little bit lucky in, in the podcast. There's a lot of stuff that I probably wouldn't have stuck with as long as I did if it weren't for the fact that we had set arcs to read to. If something doesn't grab you right away, that is an element of quality in and of itself. 
I mean, not for nothing, but I really, really liked Call of the Night. But I don't know that I would have actually even picked it up in the first place if I didn't read to a decent chunk into it. You know, it takes a little while to get going. What you're looking for in a story is kind of important. How much time you have to spend on it, how emotionally invested you intend to get into it. That's also why I don't think it's unreasonable for people to like things that are just just not well made. There are some places where I can get frustrated with certain things. And I do think that elevating noticeably bad things can have its issues. I would at the very least like for, you know, writers, artists, etc. to, you know, put some level of effort into the things they do. A lot of the stuff that tends to do particularly well are passion projects, so that's not really a problem. But yeah, there are the sword art onlines of the world out there. It is worth noting, though, that even bad things have an appeal to them. One of the most universally loathed uh, elements uh, that has appeared on our podcast was Dragon Ball Super, or at least the one I'm most qualified to talk about. But like there are defenders of Super out there and like they seem to be doing it unironically. And hey, it might not be doing so well last time I heard, but It had been doing well for a long time, well past the point where I would have quit the series. That's an example of the case where the familiarity of the franchise was enough to keep people going. I'd argue that happened to Dragon Ball well before Super, but we won't get into that. Even if something is infuriatingly bad, you know, say, for example, High School of the Dead, which is incredibly hard to defend. Maybe sometimes you just want a little bit of wish fulfillment. It's not really good storytelling, but it gets that serotonin going, that sort of high school or, you know, dumb high school boy idea of, you know, using that cute girl's boobs as a gun rest while you shoot zombies like a badass. It's really, really dumb, but, you know, it appeals to the monkey brain. That said, though, It is also worth noting that things like that should not be exempt from criticism just because people like them. You know, I do personally feel that uh, High School of the Dead, as an example, does have some pretty concerning political leanings that it tries to appeal to its audience. So it kind of depends on how much of a critic you want to be. If you're enjoying something quietly and casually, then don't really have to defend yourself. You shouldn't feel the need to defend the quality of something. But if you're going to talk about it with people, and I think especially even if quietly you're going to let it influence you and you're going to care about it deeply, which usually results in you talking to people about it, then I do think that you should be open to criticisms of even things you like. I, for example, am not blind to the things that I love. For example, Dragon Ball is a series I am quick to criticize, is as much as I am also even quicker to praise it. The series has a problem of not really having any slow moments to speak of. Kira Toriyama is sort of famous for only ever writing plot points. That's a problem with the series. Yu-Gi-Oh! also has a lot of early installment weirdness. To me, the manga is the closest I've ever seen to a perfect story, but... It requires a level of buy-in that not everyone is necessarily going to have. And if you don't buy into it, if you're unwilling to read it charitably, then, well, it can have some weird elements to it. And that's a problem with it. 
Judging the quality of a series, unfortunately, in a lot of cases, has a lot to do with the vibe of it, which is hard to define. How a series makes you feel, how much you enjoy it, is going to influence how willing you are to smooth over mistakes with headcanons, which, as long as it doesn't conflict with the text, is a valid way of reading a story. For example, they never tell you exactly how Super Saiyans work in Dragon Ball, but if you really care about the series and you're willing to put in the mental effort, you can pretty much figure out that it's basically like the adrenaline boost, real-life adrenaline boost, where, you know, someone can, like, lift a car to save their child sort of thing, except maybe more, you know, magical and literal and persistent. And also it can be activated on command uh, if you do it enough. But like that's not in the story. So does that count as a point in favor of it? I personally feel that it should because there's enough good of Dragon Ball other than things like that, that that element elevating it is reasonable. You know, you buy into the series for the funny, wacky characters, and then it has this serious element to it that makes you even more emotionally invested in them. But hey, if you're not a fan of, for example, early Dragon Ball's humor, then if you don't get that far, you don't get that far. And, you know, context is important in stories. Some stories you can skip chunks and Maybe you can skip the first arc with Dragon Ball, but other stories you can't. And if you have to skip a section of a story, it doesn't really say good things about that part of the story now, does it? So, yeah, with all of that, it's kind of hard to parse what's good, what's bad. In a lot of cases, something that works in one story might not work in another. I think a good way of looking at some of these ideas in a more understandable and dare I say, objective way, is looking at things like sequels, prequels, and adaptations. It's the same story, so not necessarily everything that works in one version will work in another, but you can sort of see why something works in one and why it wouldn't So with all of that in mind, we're going to take a quick break as I compile a list of some of my pet series, and we'll see what they do right and what they do wrong as they've changed over time. And to the surprise of no one, I still want to talk about Dragon Ball. Look, we have the Dragon Ball Super episode, but that was very early on. And, you know, we've talked about other parts of Dragon Ball since then. And I kind of want to talk about what the difference is, because there's a lot of things in Dragon Ball Super that are arguably basically the same as they are in Dragon Ball, which can sometimes be the problem. See, here's the thing. Goku as a character has had character development over his time in the series. When you meet him in the beginning of the series, he is a happy, kind of dumb kid who's just out on an adventure and doesn't really think about the consequences of his actions. There is an element of him not necessarily fully thinking things through all the way to where I consider the end of the series, the fight with Cell. But he is also quite different at that point. He's an adult. He really knows what he's doing. And even if he doesn't get everything exactly right, he does plan and think about how things will play out over time. Then you see a character like Goku in Super who basically acts like middle of Dragon Ball, like no Z Dragon Ball Goku, and he never learns 
any of the lessons that he's had from the entire rest of the series. Yeah, Super has a problem of not changing things, of leaning a little too heavily on iconography. There's a reason they keep bringing Frieza back, for example. It's one of the most universally beloved elements of the entire franchise. So they lean on that to hit your nostalgia buttons, not making you think about it. There's also the element of appropriating iconography but not doing it correctly, not evoking the same feel. There is a very, very particular way that, for example, Super Saiyan works. It had been built up for the entire Z portion of the story up until it happened. Everything, everything in Dragon Ball was built to reach that moment. There's an excellent video by Overly Sarcastic Productions on the Super Saiyan legend. And whilst I don't agree with everything mentioned in that video, personally, I think the Cell arc is spectacular. There is a lot of really important context there that shows off why Super Saiyan works. I won't repeat it here. Go check them out. But compare that to something like Super Saiyan God. A bunch of people stand around in a circle in the same arc the idea was introduced. Or Super Saiyan Blue, which in the context of, ma- of the manga was introduced off screen. But it's treated like it's on the same level as Super Saiyan. Not only is it no impact relative to it, but it also feels kind of insulting, especially if, like me, you read in all that extra meaning that is implied with Super Saiyan kind of makes you hate the direction the series has been going. There's also the element of focusing on iconography over theming. There's a very heavy theme in Dragon Ball of the idea of perfection being an illusion. So why is Beerus presented as functionally perfect or at least unreachable. The core idea of perfection being impossible is the fact that no height is impossible to reach. It's a matter of pacing is the problem that I have with Beerus. He should have been caught up to well before. Well, actually, I don't think he's still been caught up to yet. Sort of depends on how you interpret Ultra Instinct. I mean, even a series as inconsistent as Dragon Ball isn't even uh, that consistent with uh, its own things anymore. What even is Ultra Instinct? How does it work? It's kind of just treated as a power up, whereas a lot of other things like, you know, the pros and cons of Kaioken or uh, the strain of becoming a Super Saiyan and, you know, working towards making it less strenuous was far more consistent than that. Another series that I absolutely adore, my other favorite, Yu-Gi-Oh! And this one I wanted to point out because it's really amazing how little changes can absolutely crush a story. One of the things I want to point out, and this is something that has always bugged me, in the anime, they have these giant duel arenas, and they're very cool and they're very visual, but they actually break the entire metaphor of the story. Not to get too spoilery, but the entire point of Yu-Gi-Oh! as a story is it's about the fact that games are more fair. If you're in even a violent conflict, fighting fair and looking your opponent in the eye and not getting other people involved is the right thing to do. That's what the shadow games are. So the dual boxes, because you are at a table and looking your opponent directly in the eye right across from each other, that's kind of important to the vibe of the story. That's literally the theme being expressed. So by creating these big visual dual arenas, it takes away a really, really important element of the story. 
That said, though, sometimes adaptations can actually benefit a story. My Hero Academia is actually a really good example of this. In the original manga, it's sort of clear that a lot of things were being tried and not a lot was delved into particularly deeply or too deeply in the case of some exposition scenes. The way that the anime was able to smooth these things out to deliver information either more slowly or in more detail or in less detail really ended up changing the context of the way the audience interacts with the story. I'm not going to lie, the end of the second episode of My Hero Academia makes me cry every time I see it. It's so beautiful. And whilst the original manga is also quite good, the combination of the music, the voice acting and the better pacing and better wording of the dialogue really elevates the story. The core concept is the same, and they're both executed at least well, but those little details like specific word choice and, you know, even something as intangible as music can greatly benefit or hurt a story. Context is also really important. Uh, one of the series that we did a little while ago, Crossbone Gundam, is a sort of odd duck that gets into those ideas of what you're going to a story for. One of the core appeals to me of Crossbone Gundam is seeing a character that whose story got cut short by, let's face it, corporate bullshit, actually gets to have at least more of his story or a story of him be told. And I really like Crossbone for that. And this is actually something that applies to a lot of UC Gundam. But the problem is, if you don't know Gundam, a lot of that can be lost on you. The hope is that you write a story that can satisfy all of those elements uh, from a fan base that's coming to it without leaving people in the dust. But the more detail you give and the more connections you have to that previous thing, the more benefit, you know, the backfill has, the harder it is for someone new to get into it. So in some ways, one of the best parts to me about Crossbone is also could be one of the worst to my co-host, Matt, who very much did not like the series for, hate to say it, totally understandable reasons. A series can even change over the course of its own run. Look at, for example, Kill Six Billion Demons, a story that I liked the first arc of, but didn't really love it. And <laughs> two of our co-hosts arguably reasonably hated it, whereas Sam, of course, absolutely freaking loved it. By the time you get to the second arc, it becomes a much more traditional story. Does that make it better? I mean, even Matt, who pointed out that the saying that the second part was better is a bit of a loaded way of putting it. There's an argument to be made there that information was conveyed in a more accessible way. That's sort of the nature of what quality means in the context of a story. I don't think it's unreasonable to uh, critique uh, Kill Six Billion Demons visual density in the first arc. But there's also the information density that was sort of front filled on purpose. That's sort of designed to filter out people who don't like that kind of storytelling. So is that good or bad quality? It's definitely a kind of quality. And again, context and how you personally approach the story is an important element of that. Dragon Ball is another series that's made a lot of changes over time. It was originally a uh, episodic sketch comedy. Uh, it did have continuity between chapters because they were, you know, hunting MacGuffins, but functionally it was a bunch of disconnected vignettes. 
over time, it got more adventure and after that, it got more serious and, you know, fight arc focused. All those different versions of Dragon Ball can have individual appeal, and some people might like some of them and not others. For me, one of the reasons I love Dragon Ball so much is I think it hit the nail on the head for all of those different kinds of storytelling. But if someone just flat out doesn't want one of them, like the raw, pure comedy or the heavy, uh, serious action, then, you know, that's a problem and they're going to see that as a negative. This is more of a case where I don't think it's necessarily right to say that, like, that's a quality problem because... You know, someone who likes adventure is going to like the adventure part of Dragon Ball, for example. Uh, someone who likes heavy action and serious drama is going to like the more serious parts of later Dragon Ball. I think if you can look at it from the perspective of if someone who is looking for this likes this part of a story, you can probably say it's probably done right. And, you know, I hate to crowdsource to solve this problem, but that can kind of help with the matter of quality. That's also something that really applies to JoJo's. Some parts of JoJo's are way more comedic than others. Some, the joke is that everyone is aggressively serious and others, it sort of leans on the bit. For example, part one of JoJo's is almost entirely funny because nobody laughs at the jokes, whereas part two and arguably part three are way more comedy based. It's really more about setting up punchlines. You know, that applies to Jonathan, but, you know, Paul Nareff's hand signals or Dio asking for someone to retrieve his leg is pretty hilarious in a supposedly serious moment. Someone may or may not gravitate to those sorts of things. You know, if someone's coming to JoJo's looking for some sort of serious straight face sort of thing, then you're probably not going to like part three's villains because they're basically all punchlines. It really depends on the context in which you engage with the story. So with all of that to say, quality, no matter how you look at it, is a really complex subject. It's fascinating, but it's hard to put in a particularly concise way. I guess that's why I like talking about it. There might be a few markers of it, but even if you see something as a de facto positive, it might not be universal. The lesson I try often to learn. Even bad writing can be enjoyable in its own way at times, even unironically. All of that to say, your taste is actually and I am correct in all the points and critiques I've made by default. So I guess you're just going to have to keep uh, listening to the Overmanga cast on your podcatcher of choice or YouTube. I like YouTube personally. Uh, those are on a two week delay, though. Overmangacast.com is also a nice way to uh, catch our episodes as they premiere and catch up on our backlog. So am I allowed out of the grumpus corner now? Oh, okay. Well, if you could stand just me, let us know by dropping us a review on one of those podcatchers. Hoping we uh, earn five stars with this little thing that we do. Uh, you can also email us at at, uh, at overmangacast at gmail.com. Uh, you can uh, comment on us uh, on our episodes on overmangacast.com or even hit us up at Twitter at overmangacast. Sure hope that call to action doesn't date this episode. <laughs> anyway, uh, where my co-hosts will mercifully have returned. See you then.